may be boring, but his guests aren't. It's Al's Boring Podcast. Oh, hi there. Al Dukes here, and my guest today on the podcast is Joe Beningo. Hi, Joe. Al, how are you? What's very, going on? Very good to have you. I had Evan as my very first guest on, uh-huh. on this thing. Does that mean I'm the last guest you're going to You're not have? the last guest. <laughs> I still haven't done Boomer. So, uh, I, Oh, wow. How's that possible? And then I'm going to try to get Mike on after you. Good luck. Uh, very good luck with that, Al. I will use this as I'll say, well, Joe did it as well. <laughs> So, Joe, where were you in 1987 when uh, FAN was uh, going to be a radio station? Wow, 1987. Wow, yeah. that was, first of all, that was kind of like toward the tail end. I think it was the last year of my first marriage. 1987. <laughs> How many have there been? No, there's only been two. This oh, okay. one, you know, two. Well, this is only my second. This is my second and final one I'm on now. Uh, 1987, I was a, um, a food salesman back in 1987. I was working for a company. Was I working for White Rose back then? I think I was working for White Rose because I worked for a number of different places. Oh, no, you know where I was working? No, no. You know where I was in 1987? 1987, I was working for a company called Century Cookies out of uh, Kearney, New Jersey. Uh, I, I, it was a, um, a gourmet cookie company that sold all over the country. I did a lot of traveling, that type of thing. I worked with them about three years. So that's in 1987, I was working for them uh, at that point. You're a traveling salesman. Pretty much. And, and were you? What would you listen to while you were driving around prior to Fan coming on? Board? Music always, uh, always. In fact, it's funny. I mean, I was a big fan of CBS FM way back then. A big music guy. Loved you know. I'm I'm totally into that as well. Uh, so that's what I always had on in the car. You know, prior to you know, all of a sudden, this all sports station coming on. Did you did you hear about Fan coming on, or were you scanning the dial one day? No, I heard about it. I'd heard that they were gonna, you know, uh, I guess in the sports, you know, reading because every day I get up and the first thing I do is read the paper, you know, read the read the Post, read the Daily News. So I'm, uh, but that's probably how I found out about it that there was gonna be this, you know, twenty four hour all sports station. Uh, coming into being, and you know, and I, I started listening to it pretty much right, uh, right away. So that sounded interesting to you. It didn't did it seem like how they, how are they possibly filling twenty four hours a day with sports talk? Uh, I don't think I thought that. I mean, yeah. being the kind of crazy sports fan I was, uh, you know, uh, I didn't see where there'd be any problem filling that kind of time. To be honest with you. So then you start tuning it in while you're on the road. Yep. And yep. who are you liking when you first turn it on? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I loved uh, Eddie Coleman and, and Dave Sims, Coleman and Soulman, who really were the original uh, 10 to 1 guys. I think they were actually on from 10 to 2 at that point in time. And, in fact, even before that, you know, let me even backtrack that, Al. Uh, even before Eddie was with Dave Sims, he actually was with Mike. Francesa was teamed with Eddie Coleman. I believe it was from 10. Now, we're talking a really early days. I think it was actually from 10 to 2, and I thought they were great. I really did, and then obviously when when it was Eddie and Sims, I thought they were terrific, uh, you know. So, but I, I I I think it was actually Mike and and Eddie that really got me, you know, going into the station. To be honest with you, and and how long were you a listener before you started calling in? Uh, I didn't start calling in until Mike and the Mad Dog. Uh, I I want to say 1989 for Mike and the Mad Dog. I think that's when they started. And once they started, and, you know, obviously they really, you know, everything really took off once those guys got in place. That's when I really started to call in because I would, you know, get very aggravated hearing some of the stuff they were talking about, to be honest. And you were Joe in Saddle River. Joe in Saddle River at that time, right. And were you a guy who would call every day, every couple days? 
don't know if I call every day, but I would certainly be on there a couple times a week. And you had great, good chemistry with them. Uh, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I became certainly a pretty prominent caller on the show. And and people always ask the guys that get on a lot, do they have a special line? No, there absolutely was no special. In fact, there would be times I would hold on forever. Yeah. But you were, you were able to do that in your car, though. Uh, well, what I would do is, you know, if I re- if it was a day when I felt I really had to talk to them, I would, because they were on, I'm trying to think what time they started. I, I don't think they started at 1 back then. They probably started at 2 o'clock back then, something like that. Uh, if, I, if I felt I really had to talk to them, see, I'd be on the road early. I'd be, I'd be out seeing people like 6 o'clock in the morning. So I was out early. So I'd be done by 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So to get home, to actually call them, you know, because those guys would be on to 6 o'clock. So I had plenty of time. You know, back then there was no cell phones. Right. Uh, I certainly didn't have a car phone or anything like that. So I would have to go home to, to call them. And at what point do you think, uh, you know, I have when you when you call in, you have a lot of energy. You're, you're going back and forth with them where you think, why, why am I not doing this? I never really thought that uh, at all until the day. It never crossed my mind until the day when I, I got the New York Post, as I always would. And I read an article by Phil Mushnick, how uh, a caller uh, by the name, and I don't know why his name escapes me now. Uh, it, it's terrible that I, I can't think of his name now. But anyway, I'm sure if I went out, they, they tell me in a minute. But how there was going to be a caller actually getting to do a show on the fan. And I remember reading this and saying, <laughs> wait a minute, this guy's going to get a show? You knew you knew his name. Oh, from yeah, the- he was okay. a prominent guy. I mean, like I said, I, I, for some reason right now, the name escapes me. Uh, like I said, I could ask Spitzer Chernoff. They'll know in a, in a heartbeat. In fact, I think this guy is, has since passed away. But I, when I heard he was getting a show, I said, wait a minute. you telling me this guy's getting a show and I can't get a chance to get a shot? It, it never really occurred to me until I read this article by Phil Mushnick in the Post one day. And did you bring that up the next time you called in? To- well, you know, it's funny. Th- that, that day, Mike and Chris's entire show, Mike and the Mad Dog's entire show was devoted to to saying how there was a ton of other callers out there who deserved the show more than this guy, and that was kind of the beginning of me getting on the air. To be, you know, that, that's really kind of the beginning of it. And did you call in in response to that? Absolutely, discussion? because that day, as I'm driving around doing my thing, you know, doing doing my job, they're bringing up all these different callers who deserve a show before this particular guy does, and they're mentioning me as one of the guys. So when I heard that. I had to get home and, you know, basically throw my hat into, hey, wait a minute now. Got home, remember getting on the air and kind of, you know, throwing my hat into the ring, if you will. And how did, so you call and you say, hey, I want in on this. And, and, what, and then how long between that discussion and you getting to do something? Well, what happened was they, they start bringing up, Mike and Chris start bringing up these different names of callers. They bring me up. I get, on, I get home. I get on the air. Bobby Gelb, who's now you know a great salesman here for the fan for years, was actually the producer at that time of Mike and Chris's show. They all knew me because I was a regular caller, obviously. So I call up, and Mike says, well, you know, I'm going to throw a name at you to interview this particular guy. I think it was George Carl, the old basketball coach. He coached the Nuggets, played in North Carolina anyway. So he brings up George Carl's name. He might have even be co- been coaching Seattle at that point. And, you know, I go into this whole thing on, you know, okay, it's George Call, and I'm asking him different questions and how I would interview him and yada, yada. And, you know, before I'm pretty much done with the call, Mike's saying, okay, fine, um, you know, uh, hang on the phone, and I'm going to give you a number to call Mark Chernoff off the air. And that's kind of how it started. And then they, 
they wound up having what they called the Fan Appreciation Day, where I, believe, I think it was four different callers, including, by the way, the guy who was originally written about having the show, uh, were going to be part of his Fan Appreciation Day, and I got a chance to do an hour show that day, what which ta- was pretty good. What time was that? Uh, it was during the Christmas holidays, and it was during the Mike and the Mad Dog time frame. So you get an hour right, by yourself. Yeah. Well, actually, Eddie Coleman was with me. They had a different uh, host with everybody. They actually had Eddie Coleman with me, although I pretty I really didn't need Eddie, to be honest. And I think Eddie would say the same. And what type of uh, prep did you do for that one hour? Uh, no particular prep. I just you know wanted to make sure I came up with a big monologue to get things rolling. I think it was – it happened in, in December of 94 – and I think my monologue basically was about the 49ers and how they were going to win the Super Bowl that year, which, by the way, they wound up doing. Uh, but I think that was pretty much what the what the monologue was about. Now, was it weird for you, uh, having listened to the fan for that long, going into the fan and seeing what it Very act- strange, actually yes. looked like? Yeah, absolutely. Were you expecting, and meeting different people, yes, it was. Were you expecting it to look like a modern facility and beautiful? You know, I don't know if I expected anything along those lines, but I, I it definitely, look, and I... I see, you know, and I see it now as when I see these, you know, people that come in here, they come in here like, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and that was certainly me. You know, walking into the fan for the first time after having listening, you know, been listening to it for years, uh, it was it was certainly a big deal, and I came in exactly that way, like, wow. Yeah, because uh, back then, no internet, so it's even, you don't even really know what all these people look like. Right, I had no idea what they look like. Yeah. None. And was that? And I would think that's intimidating to then try to go on the radio. Uh, I, you know what? I kind of looked at it like, wow, this is maybe this is the vehicle I need. So I really wasn't intimidated. I kind of just looked at it as I'm getting one shot in the barrel. You better make it count. Right. I think that's how I looked at it. And when you because would- remember, let me also throw this in. Remember at that time. Now we're going back. This is almost 20 years ago. Now well, it's over. You know, well, 95, 94. So it's over 20 years. You know, at that point, I was like, you know, 40 years old already. It wasn't like I was some 22-year-old kid coming in for this. I was already 40. I was already established as a food salesman. I'd been doing that for almost 20 years. So, you know, I wasn't a young guy. So I'm even more so that I feel like this is an opportunity. I got to make it happen. I'm never getting this shot again. And then when you get done with that hour... You feel it went well, or or did you think? Damn. I fe- I tell you what, as soon as I came off the year, I knew it went well because I got there was a phone call in the newsroom from Susan Waldeman, uh, complimenting me on how good it was. Really? Yep. So she was a talk show host there at the time. Uh, yes. Yep. Yep. So, so you do that? Are your the people at work at the food place? They're all listening in for you as uh, well. I don't think anybody, you know, outside of maybe my wife, I yeah. don't think anybody was really listening. You know, family members, that was it. Yeah, so then you feel like you do well that hour. What happens from there? Like, what's the next thing well, that happens? the next you? day, like I said, it was during the Christmas holidays. So I was off around. With my regular job, I was on vacation for a week from it. So um, the next day, I think Mike was on by himself. Chris wasn't on. And Mike's show that next day is basically critiquing all the guys who, you know, all the callers who had done the show the day before and Mike is basically saying, and not basically, was he was saying that I was the only one of the four different callers who actually had a chance to make it in the business. Right. So I call Mike that day, and I'm thanking him, you know, you know, for saying nice things about me, and you know, I, I, he might have said, "Hey, you never know what might happen," and yada yada. So that's 
that's where it went from there. You know, Mike basically saying that I was the only guy that really had a chance to really make it in the business. And um, that was kind of the start of it. And then the holidays are over. You go yep. back to your job. Yep. And are you thinking, like, well, what do I do now? Well, like, what's I, the what next I did, step? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that. I talked, uh, I had a pretty good relationship with Bobby Gelb as because of the fact that I was a regular on Mike and Chris's show. So uh, Bobby says, look, this is what you need to do. So first, the first thing I did, I said, how do you feel about me getting involved in the Connecticut School of Broadcasting? And, you know, he was kind of, you know, wishy-washy about that. You had heard the ads were currently right, running right, on FAN. Right, right, But I did it. I enrolled in the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Uh, I took the classes at night. So it was like two nights a week for like four hours that I did it. Uh, and I told Bob that I was doing that. He said, well, that's all well and good, but you need to get on the air somewhere. So I wound up uh, looking around, and I found this little radio station in Elizabeth, New Jersey, WJDM. And I wound up going to see the people there. And I forget how much I had to pay for an hour, but I wound up signing up, buying like I think it was maybe six or seven weeks on a Monday night for an hour. And it just so happened that my time frame, my hour was six to seven, which was right after Mike and Chris's show had ended on the fan. So I was on every Monday night from for about six weeks from six to seven on this little WJDM in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And by the way, my producer of that show was Jerry Recco. Yeah, I was talking to Jerry yesterday about this. He was hoping that you would mention him. Oh, absolutely. Here. Yeah, that's why I met Jerry, sure. So, uh, strangely enough, when I was in college, I did an internship there. Is that right? Yeah, 1530 WJDM. Really? Yeah, it was very strange. That uh, is very strange. Uh, that was probably in uh, 1990. This is 19, well, this is, yeah, this is like 90, uh, at this point now, we're like into 1995 now. Yeah, when I was there, it was still an oldie station. Okay. And then I guess it went to a brokered program where you, people, right. That's uh, right. different groups would pay to be on the radio. Correct. And what, and did you get callers back then or did that not really matter? Uh, not really. I mean, it was basically me for an hour uh uh, just doing what I, you know, doing my thing. Yeah. Now, but what happened was the, the the really the what really got me to the fan. I was again. I'm a regular on Mike Mike and Chris's show, so I called Gelb. Gelb now knew what I was doing. I said, "Look, Bob, is there any chance that maybe I can get Mike and Chris on my show as guests?" All right. She said, "Yeah, I think we could we could do that." So I said to Gelb, "I said, look, what I'd like to do is have them both on separately." Maybe we do Russo first and then have Mike on. So he says, yeah, I think we could do that. So sure enough, we were able to do that. So I forget, you know, maybe my fourth show or whatever, I get Chris on, and he does basically 40, 40 minutes with me, half hour with me. It was great. The following week, Francesa comes on, does the entire show with me, and somewhere along the line in the show says, you know, folks, and I don't know if anybody was listening outside of maybe my wife. <laughs> I don't know who's listening to the show. But he says, you know, folks, you never know what might happen. Uh, Steve Summers is being moved to the midday. There's an opening on the overnight. And so Mike says to me, would you be willing, you know, if, if you got the, the gig as the overnight guy, would you be willing to, you know, basically change your lifestyle, leave the job you're in now and do that? I said, absolutely. <laughs> no, You know, no doubt about it. So... I would say maybe two days after that, after I did this show with Mike, I called the station, get on with Gelb. I want to thank Mike and Chris for coming on. I appreciate it. So Gelb basically gives me a heads up and says, look, I'm not making any promises, 
but you may be hearing from Mark Chernoff in the next couple days about possibly coming in and doing fill-in work overnight. I said, yeah, okay, that's not happening. You know, like I'm like, yeah, sure, right. Sure enough, maybe the next day, maybe two days later, uh, I come home, one of my daughters uh, gives me a note, says, call Mark Chernoff at the fan. I'm like, oh, my God. So I call up Chernoff, and it was coming up to the 4th of July holiday and Chernoff basically says, look, would you be willing to come in on the weekend? Would you be willing to come in on the weekend and, you know, maybe doing, you know, fill in on the overnight for, you know, during the 4th of July and all that? I said, yeah, absolutely. So that's that's the that's the beginning of it. I started doing fill-in work on the weekends uh, on the overnight in, you know, in like July and August of 1995. And then when do they offer you something full-time? Well, first, first thing Chernoff says to me is, I'd really like to see how you handle a full week on the air overnight. Can you make that happen? I said, of course. How though, with you, if you have well, a full time well, job? Well I, well, I took. I had. I had. I had more vacation time, and I told my boss, who was a woman, by the way, who ran the company, and I said to her, I said, look, she knew what was happening. She knew that I was a little, getting involved with the radio. She knew I was doing part time work on the radio. So I said to her, I said, look. I said, can I get this? I think it was like the last week in August or some somewhere along there, all right? And I said to her, I said, look, I need a week off. They want me to do a fill-in for a week on the overnight, uh, so I'm going to take a vacation week. She said, fine. And I think she kind of thought at that point that that was it. I was never coming back again, all right? And then as it had turned out, it did turn out that way, but I didn't think that at the time. But I basically got that vacation week and then did a full week on the overnight uh, for, uh, for Chernoff. And then that goes well, and and they ask you to take that over full time. Well, uh, that went really well, and I remember coming home that Friday morning. You know, I had gotten, I had done the week, so obviously Friday morning, you know, Thursday night slash Friday morning is my Friday. I'm done for the week at you know five thirty in the morning, going into I I miss on a Friday morning. So I went home, and you know, I go to sleep. Now I'm going to sleep because obviously you're sleeping at that hour after being up all night. And uh, one of my daughters wakes me up at about noon or whatever it was and says that uh, Mark Chernoff wants you to call him. So I call Chernoff, and he basically says, look, uh, if you want it, the job's yours, and you, the full-time gig on the, on the overnight, and Mike and Chris are going to announce it on their show later today. And, you know, basically the rest is history. Looking for a home alarm system? May I suggest AlarmGrid? It's a do-it-yourself home security company with no contracts and no gimmicks. Their equipment is high-quality, name-brand that any company can monitor. It's the same stuff that professional installers put into homes. AlarmGrid can even take over old equipment if you move into a house with an existing system or if you don't like the company you're currently with and you want to make a switch. For those of you that might be afraid going the do-it-yourself route, check out their YouTube channel at youtube.com slash alarmgrid. There's no gimmicks. Other companies charge activation fees. They don't. Other companies charge exorbitant prices to change even a single sensor. They don't. All their help is free, and their online resources make it even more simple. Most of the time, their customers don't even need to call. AlarmGrid's monitoring prices range from $10 on up. They're reliable, affordable, and available. You can sign up right now at alarmgrid.com slash boring. Yes, use my code boring. Alarmgrid.com slash boring. 
It's Al's Boring Podcast. Now, you you are a, a successful sales guy for a long time. I don't know how successful I was, but I was a salesman. We'll, well put it that way. Well, what was the... Did the money compare to what you were making uh, as a sales guy, or did you have to take a pay cut? Was it a lot? Uh, it was probably. You know what, Al was probably comparable. I mean, I wasn't making. I mean, we're talking about 1995, so we're talking 20 years ago. Uh, I was probably making somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 a year at that point, and that was the starting salary what they were going to give me. So, look, you know what? They could have started me at a uh, dollar an hour, I think, at that point. And I was going to take the job. And what was the, the week that you did the overnights, the test week? Sort yes. Of, how, what, how many hours a night were you doing? Uh, I was on from 1 to 5.30. Did that seem like a long time? Yeah, you know what? I No, because, I mean, you know, here it was like this is, you know, this is a possibly a life-changing event. So uh, I didn't even consider it, the, you know, the hours, to be yeah. honest. It just it didn't seem like a lot of time no. to fill? No, So then you get that, that job, full-time job. Fan overnight, right? And I started the uh, la- uh, the the Tuesday after Labor Day of 1995 was the beginning of my overnight career. So right at the start of football season, yes, right at the start, which is nice. You're a huge Jet fan, yeah, yeah. Jets- I don't remember- football to me is the best of all the sports. So yeah. And what were the Jets like that first year? Uh, not any good. That they was no uh, good. Richie Kotite's first year. Uh, they went a sparkling three and thirteen that year. Right, <laughs> and and who were you working with on the overnight? Did, was was there an update guy in the overnight? Uh you know it was boy. I tell you, it's so long ago now. I remember, I believe the guy who did the updates was a kid by the name of Ryan Williams, and I don't know whatever happened to him. Uh, he did it maybe for a year with me, and then he left for greener pastures. I never heard of him again. Um, you know, I had Samantha. There was so many different people. Samantha Ryan, who's gone on to TV uh, to have success in TV. Uh, Joni Chin was one of my uh, producers back then. Jerry was my producer for a while. Right. And the the most prominent, though, I did the overnight for about almost nine years. And it's wow. funny now. I've actually done the midday longer than I did the than I actually did the overnight. It wound up being about eight and a half years on the overnight. And uh, the most prominent of my producers was Ray Martell. Who I think did my produce the show for probably the last four or five years I did it. Uh, I worked with Opie and Anthony for a number of years, and Jim Norton uh, on the air uh, had told the story that uh, he would look for hookers at night while listening to your oh, show. Oh, is that true? Yeah, but it, it just makes you think <laughs> it's, it's New York, it's the middle of the night. Right, right. The various things that are going on oh, yeah, no, while right, you're on right, the air. Right. Yeah, yeah I ne- you know, I never thought of that, but yeah. y- it's an excellent point. And did you, you had a regular group of uh, nighttime callers? Yep. Guys that, were they guys that worked the night shifts? Or were they guys that couldn't sleep? Were they... You know what? I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, really who or what they were, but I mean, it, my show back then, the overnight show was all about the callers. The callers drove the show. You had a lot of time. It was very little commercial time, so you had a lot more time. I and mean, you could spend five minutes with a phone call with guys uh, and women, of course. Doris and Rigo Park was one of the main callers back then. Uh, but it was all about the callers, and I had so many crazy different personalities that would make up the show. I mean, these people would call every night, you know, and that's really what made the show what it was. When I talked to Steve Summers here a few weeks back, he said when he was asked to move out of the overnight he was nervous to do so in that he felt like uh, no one would bother him there in the overnight. Mm-hmm. Like, no one bothers you there. You have your own thing going with the callers. Um, it's a non-corporate type environment. And right. He you don't was, have to worry he, about ratings or anything yeah, like that. He was nervous to move to the midday. When they approached you, What were they looking for a midday 
guy when you moved out of overnights? Is that where you went to middays? Yes, right to it. With and Sid Rosenberg. With, Sid, the, with so, Sid. So they wanted to team you yes. right away. Yes. So now you're moving out of uh, a slot you're very comfortable in, and you're now have to, you now have to work with somebody. I had no problem when I was ready to go. You to were? Be, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd done the overnight for eight and a half years. I never thought I'd get off it. I could, I could tell you that. Uh, but when it, you know, when it came my way, I was, I was certainly ready to go. There was no doubt. And I was really looking forward to working with Sid. I like Sid. We had the same agent. We had a great relationship. Um, so I was, I, I, you know, I thought this had a chance to really be a, a stellar show. And unfortunately, we'll never really know what it could have turned out to be because of the different issues Sid wound up having. So you would come on right after Imus. Right after Imus. And how, what was your relationship like well, with him? Remember, first of all, that come on right before Imus right. for all those years. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Many so, years. So I knew Imus. I, Imus loved me. He really did. Yeah. I, I always had a very good relationship with Imus. Very good. And how long did the Sid show uh, last? Well, um, you know, I can't even. Uh, did we do it? Did we even get a year in the first year? We might have We might have got it done a year. And then Sid crapped out and wound up going to rehab for a month. Came back, and we were together maybe five or six months, and then we had the big flame out, which, uh, you know, when he just fell off the face of the earth after that that whole disaster went down in Atlantic City. And um, so that was 2006. So from, like, September 2006, that was it with Sid. So I did probably, totally maybe I did a little more than a year with Sid, not much more. Would you be able to, uh, since you're working with him every day, would you be able to sense when things were not going well personally for him, or you felt like, oh man, this is gonna? No, I never. I could never sense it. Yeah. In fact, I had uh, the. We did our show on a Friday. I went home for the weekend, thinking everything was beautiful, and came back that Monday to find out that Sid had had a, a major relapse over the weekend. and then you, So it was a total surprise to me. And then would they partner somebody else up with you? No, I, was by my, I did it alone for a while. Yeah. I did it all alone until Sid came back. And then when Sid crapped out again, I did it alone for about almost two years until I got paired up with Evan. But a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Uh, Chernoff had always told me that, you know, at some point I'm probably going to match you up with somebody again. So, you know, I knew that that day was probably coming that I would have a partner again. And when did you know that would be Evan? Uh, what was Evan did, doing before he I was think Evan doing was doing overnights part-time at that point. I don't think he was doing full-time overnights, but I think he was doing part-time overnights. Now, did you know anything about him? I knew he was. I really didn't know much about him. I knew he was a young guy. Uh, more than that, I really didn't know. Yeah. And then do they have you do test shows together or they just throw you in there one no, day? No, it was like from one day to the next. Uh, you know, okay, Monday he's going to be a partner. Yeah. And did you guys talk before you went on air? Or no? I think I called him before just to congratulate him. Uh, you know, I mean, I got honestly, my first thought, I wasn't crazy about it. Right. I'd be lying to you if I told you I was. Different, uh, different than going, than starting with Sid? Yeah, because I knew Sid, uh, you know, I knew Sid, I knew what Sid, all, you know, I had a relationship already with Sid, I knew what he was all about, I didn't really know Evan, I didn't really know what he was all about, uh, you know, I knew he was a y- lot younger guy, so I, you know, I, I kind of, I won't say I was apprehensive, but I was, I obviously didn't go into it the same way I went into the whole deal with Sid. Right, and then how did that go right off the bat? I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I went good. You know, it seemed to work right from the beginning. It if, really did. If somebody listened to those uh, first few months shows and listened to what your show is now with him, would they see a difference? I'm sure. I'm sure they would. Yeah. I'm sure they would. You know, I'm sure they look, I mean, with any kind of partnership, 
there is a little bit of a feeling out uh, period. So I'm sure that they. I'm sure if you listen to those early shows, the yeah. first show for sure, I'm sure it was a, a different feel to them than what you're getting now. And then uh, when the Imus thing happened, and they were bringing in uh, all these kind of shows to to test them out, did you do any of those Phil and Imus shows or no? When you say Phil and Imus, no, no, like after Imus was after they the he was gone. Yeah, no, right, and no. They kind of had all these different. No, I, no, never, never for a second did I think I'd wind up doing morning shows. No, yeah. And when you heard Boomer Esiason was in the mix uh, as a former Jet mm-hmm. quarterback, and uh, I guess he had been on the station a lot of times too with Mike and Chris. Yeah, well, he was doing that. He did that. Uh, fr- what was it? The uh, what do they call it now? The Friday night football show. I think he did yes. a show with Chris on right. the on the air. And you know, look, Boomer. I think Boomer was already doing his TV stuff by that point. Right. I think he was. You know. Oh well. Well, what you would say? Yeah. Yeah. By two thousand. Yeah. By the time we we heard Boomer was coming in, he had. I think he was already on the NFL today, wasn't he? I think uh, he was. Yes. Yeah, so we you know we knew it wasn't a great shock to me that this he was going to come in and and I think and, and if I'm not mistaken I think Mark had already kind of given me a heads up that they were looking at Boomer to be a possible morning guy right now I'd never heard of Craig before right that I had never heard of before so then when you had listened to that the first couple times did you like it did you not like it or was it hard to judge because everyone liked Imus here. Uh, you know, I didn't even think about it. Uh, yeah. To be honest with you, Al, I never even gave it much thought of whether they were good, whether they weren't good. Uh, obviously, I liked Imus. I thought he kind of got hosed in a lot of ways. You know, he really did. But, um, I, you know, it, it did. Uh, you know, I was at that point, I was just pretty much worried about myself. I right. really wasn't worried what they were doing in the morning show as long as I was okay where I was. That that's that was more on my mind. And then when uh, there were rumors that Mike and Chris were splitting up, was did that surprise you, or you kind of saw that? No, coming? I don't know because you know, uh, honestly, Chris would come in many a day before his show, and you know, basically say to me, and I don't think it's, I'm talking out of school here. I don't know how I'm going to do it today with him. <laughs> no, I mean, it. I mean, there was many days he would come in and say, I don't know how I could deal with him today. Yeah, he's in a bad mood. He's not talking. I got to do five and a half hours with him now. I don't know how I'm going to do it. So I would say there was a good six months to a year where I kind of knew the handwriting was on the wall. Yeah. Did you think he was going to be the one to leave? Because I, I remember I was here at the time, and it was, in the hallways, at least where I was, mm-hmm. it was like one of them's leaving. Right. And there was really no indication which one was going. Yeah, I was a little surprised it wasn't Mike. Yeah. Honestly, I, I was kind of surprised that Mike stayed and Chris went. And then because of the success of that show for all those years as a team – did you? Where did you think that would? Where do you think that would leave Mike as a solo artist? You know, they had talked about giving him a partner right away. Were, I never bought it. Were you a guy that was? I was, name I, was in the yeah, mix? Yeah, I mean, my name was thrown in the mix. Uh, actually, and he had a lot of people come in, uh, you know, to fill in to do a show with him right. on a specific day, and I did. I actually did one with Mike. Uh, one. I remember Carlin uh, came in and did a lot one. Of, it was a ton Kim of different Jones. people that came in. Yeah, you know. But I got to tell you honestly, Al, I never once. Chris was gone. I never thought Mike really was going to ever have a partner. I never. I think the station did that for publicity more than anything else to keep the interest built up. Hey, who's going to be that guy? I never really bought there was going to be that guy. And were you surprised? I think people were surprised that there was no ratings drop off. Having been a a, a team like that, mm-hmm. a very special team that was together for so long, you would think. 
that for a listener, that would sound like a completely different show, and you would expect, I think, a ratings drop-off, at least initially, but it, that really didn't happen. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. Um, look, let, let's let's be honest about this. When you talk about, and, and no matter what you think about Mike, and no matter what your feeling is about Mike, I mean, this guy is, you know, he is the man. I mean, when you talk about sports talk show hosts, this guy's probably number one all time. Yeah, I mean, he really is. Uh, he's an icon in the, in, the, in the industry. So was I shocked at the – I guess maybe a little surprised that the ratings didn't take any kind of hit. But I think as the time has gone on, I, I think it's almost become where, you know, a lot of times people are tuning in and just want to see Mike, you know, hey, maybe he's going to fall asleep today. Right. So I think, that, I think that aspect has also kind of fueled the ratings as well as time has gone on. And uh, Mike has recently talked about wanting to retire – and then uh, your name, your you and Evan have been um, rumored to be a team that could slide in there in the afternoon. But then I also hear people saying you want to retire soon. Are you uh, retiring? I, I will say this: I think I will retire before Mike. Really? I do because uh, I don't buy for a second. Mike's ever retired. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think Mike, honestly, and I, I, don't, I don't care if Mike hears this or not. I don't think Mike could really live without doing this. Right, I really don't. I don't see that. Right, what do all. you do all day if you don't? Do I, this? I, you know, I just don't see Mike. You know, not uh, not doing this. So, do you uh, do you want to retire soon? Uh, you know, I I certainly got one contract left in me, but I, yeah. I'll be honest, I can't. Like even today, here we are in in June second, and we're here in New York, and uh, it's fifty degrees and brutal out. You know, right. so the weather in New York certainly the winters. Are, are getting to me. I mean, I don't know how many more winters I can take in New York. But don't you think, like, uh, how Mike needs this outlet, you would need this outlet now? Um, this is where you come to yell about of, sports. I'll tell you what, Al, there's a lot of aspects of this business that I can I can certainly walk away from. I don't want to get into what all that is, Yeah, but uh, there's a lot of aspects of it. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand-new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code BORING to play for free. You could win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code BORING for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. It's Al's Boring Podcast with Al Dukes. And how do you do a show on days where there's nothing to talk about? Well, there's always something. There seems to be some days where there's nothing. Yeah, I, you know, but you can always create something. You know, I mean, even if you, you know, it's the, it's if it's the middle of, you know, once the once football's over and you're going into that kind of dead period, yeah, where there's nothing but the NBA and NHL regular season. Uh, you, you know, even if you're just talking about baseball and spring training or whatever, you can always come up with, and it always, you know what, it, it never, it always seems like something happens. 
you know, uh, we find out a, 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 another guy's a, a steroid cheat. Uh, there's some big coaching change that's going to happen. There always seems to be something that can fuel sports talk. It always There always seems to be something. So when you say you have one more contract than you, what do they do, three-year deals here? Uh, I think the last one was only two for me. Two. So you think you have two more years. What if, yeah, what at about, least two. What about this? Let's say you were all set to retire. You had your heart set on right, retirement. Right. Then Mike retired, right. and they said, we want you to do afternoons, which is what you were listening to driving around yes, doing yes. Uh, selling food. You have to stick around. I'll give you that. three words. Show me four words. <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> so if the money was right, <laughs> you're in for it. Let's put it this way. I'm not doing the afternoon drive for the money I'm making doing the midday. Right. By any stretch. But wouldn't that be a great Coming full circle sort of thing. You were a caller to the afternoon uh, show. Now you're doing the afternoon again, show. Again, show That's me the money. Good. Let's talk money, and then we'll go from there. Mm. I, I, how much more honest can I be? <laughs> <laughs> so you want m- money somewhere between midday show and what Mike's currently making? Yeah. Yeah, I have I have a specific number in mind, you but I won't, I won't go into that. Uh, I have thought about it. I, have. I I have a number, yes. So you're ready for them to come. To, if if they come to you, you're ready. Yeah, yeah, I got a number. And what do you think of all these radio shows being on TV? Uh, I'll say this, and I, it, it does bother me that I feel there's, there's a lot of people that do this now that are on TV that honestly, and I'm not going to say names, that are not in my league. Mm-hmm. And so I see these people on television, and I say, are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy is gone television, and myself and Evan are not? Right. Please. And there's plenty of sports networks. Right. Right? A ton. A ton. CBS, yes, MSG, SNY. I, I think one of the things that I that bothers me, and now doing this over 20 years, is now it's so, it's so saturated with these kind of guys and how everybody you know now thinks they're a, talk, a sports talk show host. Right. Everybody. So uh, that's part of that's part of one of the things that would make it easy for me to walk away. And do you think you're a a specific like a New York talk show host? So for example, you would have no interest going to Detroit and doing Detroit no. sports. You're a No. You're good at this because you are a look, true I, New look, York I'm sure fan. I could do Detroit. I could do it in Detroit. Yeah. I don't think there'd be an issue there. But, uh, you know, why would I want to go backwards? Right. You're you know, number everybody, one. Most, most of the people that do this aspire to get to New York. Right. Okay. So, you know, and again, unless there was like this offer in Detroit or, you know, Chicago or Cleveland or Miami or, you know, wherever, you know, where they gave me just a stupid money deal, uh, why would I ever want to go the other way? Right. And who of the young guys do you think have a bright future as a FAN talk show host? Do you listen to any of the young guys like JJ After Dark? Uh, or any of outside them? Outside of my partner? We're not yeah. talking about him? Well, uh, yeah. Outside, outside of Evan. Outside of Evan. Uh, I would say probably Greg Giannotti. Greg Giannotti. Yep. Yep. I think he's got a chance to really... I think he's a talented guy. I think he. Uh, it's more than just sports with him. And I know he's doing a great job on the morning show with Brian Jones now on the network. But he's one guy that... That comes to my mind quickly. And you must have people that ask you all the time or people that want to be in the business. You came up a very interesting yep, way. Yep. How do I do it, Joe? What should I do? Well, I mean, I think I was fortunate. I mean, I think I was very lucky. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I wasn't 20 years old when I started. I was already 40, 41 years old. Uh, and as I said, I knew that I had one shot to make it. And it was either make it 
or this is it. You were going to crash through that door and get it done, or it was never going to happen. Right. So I, you know, I, I think that the young guy coming up probably has a. It's different for a guy that's 21 years old than a guy who was 41 years old, which I was when I started. So I, I think it's kind of a different dynamic. And has the sports talk topics and subjects changed over the years? Like, is it more kind of um, more lifestyle stuff? These days, you know, with uh, sort of being a TMZ world and Twitter, and mm-hmm. it's more about people's personal lives than uh, than what goes on the field. Yeah, I mean, I look. I mean, I, I like to. I want to talk about games. I like to talk about the games, breaking down games, and that's really what I enjoy doing more than getting into you know talking about steroids or you know talking about whatever whatever the issue is. You know, unfortunately, when we have to talk about uh, domestic violence and this type of thing. You know, you got to do it. It's it's part of the gig now and all of that. But it's it's something that I, I don't really enjoy having. Those days when it's dominated by that kind of a topic, it's not really that enjoyable, I'll be honest. And who wins a title first, Jets, Knicks, or Mets? Jets, Knicks, or Mets? Yeah. The Mets. The Mets. I think so. Hmm? All right, I like it. Let's leave it at that on a positive note. Joe, thank you for coming on. This was terrific. Al, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All the love. See you. Yep.